Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And by Vortex Optics with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to our show number 964. And apologies for your humble host's nasality on today's show. We're going to start off with an audio postcard from Yosemite National Park in California, courtesy of Kimberly Mutu. Good morning, Ray. You're hearing a pileated woodpecker working its way up a tree right next to me on the Merced River in the middle of the Yosemite Valley. I went for a walk, and the river is very low right now, so I'm able to walk right down on the sandbars of what would be a massive river in the spring. And I came across two Pileata workpackers working their way up trees. One is right next to me right now. I'll send you some photos. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. And yes, Kimberly also, in, in addition to the photos, sent us a cool video. Uh, possibly that same pileated woodpecker excavating for some tasty larvae on a tree there by the Merced River in Yosemite Value, uh, Valley. You can see that video right now on our TalkingBirds.com website and on our Facebook page. Meanwhile, we can never get enough of these wonderful listener-provided audio postcards. So if you're looking at birds, you could just record a description of what you're seeing on your smartphone or digital device and then send the resulting file to ray at talkingbirds.com. That's ray at talkingbirds.com. And it doesn't matter if you're watching birds in Yosemite National Park or in your own backyard or anywhere else. Just a recording of 30 seconds to a minute's worth or so. Just about right. Ray at talkingbirds.com for your audio postcard. Here's a conservation idea of the week. We think it's a really good one and certainly a timely one. It's the plastic-free holiday gift guide from the folks at Beyond Plastics, one of our favorite organizations in the whole world. The guide features all kinds of cool gift ideas, all plastic-free, and a lot of creative suggestions worth checking out. Easy to find at beyondplastics.org. That's beyondplastics, plural, dot org. Just go to that website and you'll see the big plastic-free holiday gift guide banner right there on the homepage. You can't miss it. This is a guide that just might solve all of your holiday gift-giving challenges. That address again, beyondplastics.org. Does it sound familiar? We'll see. It's our mystery bird. There's a preview here of our mystery bird contest. We'll do the actual contest itself just a little bit later on in the show. This is a preview, so you'll be hopefully ready to call in when we give the signal a bit later and identify our mystery bird. It's a large perching bird with a long dark tail, blue-black wings, 
a black head and back with white shoulder patches, a white belly and sides, a bright yellow bill, and a yellow spot behind the eyes. It's common and easily spotted often in the oak woodlands of central and southern California, but is found nowhere else on the planet. Our bird belongs to the corvid family, known for birds like crows and ravens and jays and nutcrackers, and feeds mostly on insects while also consuming a wide variety of plant and animal foods. That's our mystery bird. There it is again. And here are the prizes. Wonderful prizes indeed. One is a big bag, I say a big bag, of our favorite coffee. Shade-grown, bird-friendly, and truly delicious birds and beans coffee. Grown under the natural forest canopy in Central America to preserve wintering habitat for warblers, tanagers, thrushes, hummingbirds, and more of the birds that we all love. It would be a nice gift, too, for anyone who, on your list, drinks coffee. Meanwhile, you don't have to sacrifice style for comfort when you're out in the field. That's why our other prize today is a $25 gift certificate for Bird Collective. It's the one-stop shop for vintage-inspired apparel and unique accessories, all featuring birds. More about them at birdcollective.com. Prizes there and the sound and the um, clues about our mystery bird. If we get to a bonus question this morning, we also have the feather-friendly bird window collision kit to help ensure that no birds crash into your windows. All coming up on our mystery bird uh, contest just a bit later on in this morning's show. We are very grateful to be able to continue salute new ambassadors helping to spread the word about our show and about what uh, we're trying to do, get the word out about birds and conservation. And today, we want to salute Dr. Peter Dane from Sudbury, Massachusetts. Thank you, Peter. Peter's already a great friend of the show and is now an official Talking Birds ambassador. By the way, next week we'll have a special announcement about a new ambassador's milestone. Meanwhile, we hope you'll consider becoming part of our ambassador's family. Signing up and being an ambassador are both quite easy. Just click on the Get Involved tab at TalkingBirds.com and help us do what we are trying to do without having a marketing department. (laughs) And that is simply to spread the word as far as we can about the wonder of birds and the vital importance of conservation. Well, still to come today, we'll bring back one of our favorite interviews of 2023 in which researcher Dr. Corey Elo describes his breakthrough research on how birds power their migratory flights. Also today, should the first letter of birds' names be capitalized, or should they be relegated to lowercase? The debate rages on, and our Mike O'Connor will weigh in on it in a Let's Ask Mike segment almost live from the archive. And up next, instead of presenting our usual feathered friend segment, yours truly will have the honor of reading aloud the words of our friend Al Bat as he looks back on mid-November in Heartland, Minnesota. Start with a little applause here. (laughs) 
I've said goodbye to many of summer's birds and insects, little things that made a season. I did a good deed and put out some bird seed in their memory. Lots of flowers are blooming in the middle of November, mostly dandelions. A caller said raccoons got into a garbage can. I said they were seeking canned goods. I saw a pair of bald eagles on a nest site in Alaska in November. I've seen that in Minnesota in November too. They come in to do a little repair or remodeling, or maybe just a bonding practice. Cooper's hawks are prospering in urban areas. Their preferred prey can be readily found there: rock pigeons, morning doves, and Eurasian collared doves. I watched a coop chase house sparrows under a minivan, while a downy woodpecker froze in place, trying to be invisible. Freezing in position is a common strategy for the downy, as woodpeckers aren't fast flyers. It's the bird's best defense, hoping to escape a predator's notice. Its slow, undulating flight isn't a good escape mechanism. Let's hear it for Al Bat. Al Bat. Find out more about Al and his、uh, words of wisdom and lots more on his website, albat.com, and that is Bat with two T's. Welcome again to our show number nine hundred and sixty-four, and we're kind of flashing back today, as we mentioned, with a favorite interview from、uh, May of twenty twenty-three. Welcome again to our show number nine hundred thirty-three. We're continuing our research theme. Here's a headline from University of Massachusetts Amherst: "The Surprising Science Behind Long-Distance Bird Migration." New research led by UMass Amherst shows that birds kick off their nonstop intercontinental flights with a protein boost. So that word "protein" seems to be a surprise, since it's long been thought, I believe, that fat was what fueled the birds at the start of their migrations and through most of it. But this new research seems to show that's not exactly the case. To help explain, we're joined by lead author of the paper detailing this new research, Dr. Corey Elo. Good morning, Corey. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Ray. You're welcome. Thanks so much for being with us.、Uh, what gave you the idea to pursue this research, and what did you discover? Well, my advisor at the time, my PhD advisor,、uh, Dr. Alex Gerson, had done some of this work up in Canada、um, at the Advanced Facility for Avian Research, and he found some really interesting findings about. How birds are using using protein in some shorter flights in the wind tunnels,、mm-hmm. um, basically these treadmills for birds,、um, mm-hmm. and he found that they were burning protein um, uh, at different rates depending on the humidity conditions they were experiencing in flight.、Mm-hmm. And so,、um, my PhD research kind of built on that to try to figure out exactly how they're using this protein in flight. So Professor Gerson said something like this: "No one has been able to measure protein burn to this extent in birds before." He says we knew that birds burn protein, but not at this rate, and not so early in their flights. And this is maybe the really most amazing part. The quote is: "What's more, these small songbirds can burn twenty percent of their muscle mass 
and then build it all back in a matter of days. Big surprise, no? Yeah, they're really incredible animals. I mean, these these birds, they'll they'll land and they'll have almost no muscle left. You'll see some birds where the muscle is basically right up against the breastbone. You know, it's not it's not a chicken you'd buy in the store. Um, there's barely any muscle left on this thing. And uh, within a few days, they'll build that right back up. And that muscle will be their flights um, for long periods of time. So they have this incredible tissue flexibility that is just kind of unparalleled. Mm-hmm. It, it certainly sounds like it, and maybe some implications for humans, right? We talked uh, before the show about this. Absolutely, absolutely. So we don't really know how they're able to do this, how they're able to defend this muscle function while it's going through such drastic changes. If we saw this in a mouse, it would probably die. Um, mm. And yet, you know, if we can explore these mechanisms a little bit, we can get some idea of maybe how it can translate to human health, um, things like muscle-wasting disease. Mm-hmm. Well, you talked about uh, use of the wind tunnel. I wonder if you'd explain that a bit, how, how, that, uh, how you go about uh, using a wind tunnel for this. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really fun, um, especially <laughs> during migration, because these birds, when the sun sets, they want to be flying. Mm-hmm. So they're they're already ramped up. They're ready to go. So really, at around 8 o'clock at night, we would take these birds that we have in captivity and bring them over to this dark wind tunnel with a single light in it, kind of to mimic moonlight. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just kind of let them go into this wind. And they think they're migrating. They want to be migrating. So they just kind of take off and fly. And um, some of them even start flight calling at high rates in here. So they, wow. they kind of get in the zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really want to be flying at this time. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's really like a bird treadmill. Uh-huh. In the zone. I like that. By the way, I saw this study about gray <laughs> catbirds from uh, University of Rhode Island, where they found the flight muscles of these birds were larger during fall migration than in summer. Another surprise? Yeah, that is a little surprising. Um, you know, Typically, we think of spring migration as the real race. All the birds are rushing north to try to get to their breeding grounds. Um, but having the muscle be larger in the fall is kind of a mystery. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many other things that might go into this. It could be, you know, maybe predation risk. Maybe they need to have these large muscles and maintain these large muscles to escape predators or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could also be that... Um, these mussels are really a source of water. So birds are really good at burning fat, mm-hmm. but fat is stored without water. But our muscles and our organs, those all contain water bound up with the protein. So mm-hmm. you can kind of think of it like a water reservoir. If they're breaking down this protein, they might be getting water as well. Something we're used to up in this part of the country, if not this time of year, is shivering. And I know this is going to be uh, your next area of research, and and you're kind of asking the question here, as the world warms, which method of coping with the cold, shivering or migrating, might be the better option for survival? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, because you can think of both methods, staying resident and dealing with the cold, or migrating to escape the cold as two different adaptations to seasonality in the their annual cycle. And we don't really know why birds migrate versus staying put. And mm-hmm. 
the funny thing is they require kind of similar mechanisms. Both hmm. both of them require this kind of endurance exercise. Um, one to shiver all night long, um, and another to fly all night long. Um, and so I'm really interested in kind of comparing these two strategies and seeing which one might win out um, if mm-hmm. climate change keeps kind of moderating the climate as as time goes on. Indeed. Fascinating. Corey Elo recently completed his PhD with Dr. Alec Gerson at UMass Amherst, researching the physiology of long-distance migration in birds. He's now a postdoctoral researcher focusing on seasonal acclimatization to temperature and photoperiod. In Songbirds, you can learn more about him, including the study we've just been talking about under the blog heading on his website. That's CoreyElo.com, C-O-R-Y-E-L-O-W-E, CoreyElo.com. Corey, thank you so much for being with us, and I hope we'll talk soon about that uh, other new research. Sounds great. Thanks, Ray. Dr. Corey Elo here on Talking Birds. Up next, our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. There's our mystery bird. Then when you heard a few minutes ago, we're just recapping to uh, engage in the actual contest here. And I invite you to call in and tell us what that bird is or take your guess, as we always say, no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. So uh, take a guess, and you could still be the winner of some beautiful prizes here and have the satisfaction of winning our mystery bird contest. That bird is kind of a noisy one, not surprising, because it has relatives like crows, ravens, jays, nutcrackers, all in the corvid family. Our bird feeds mostly on insects, also consuming a wide variety of plant and animal foods, and the description is as follows. It's a large perching bird with a long, dark tail, blue-black wings, a black head and back with white shoulder patches, a white belly and sides, a bright yellow bill, and a yellow spot behind the eye. That blue-black wings thing is that kind of iridescence effect. This bird is uh, common in the oak woodlands of central and southern California, and nowhere else on the whole planet. Another unusual feature of our mystery bird. And wonderful prizes await, including our favorite coffee on the whole planet, and that is birds and beans grown under the natural forest canopy in Central America to preserve wintering habitat for birds. Shade-grown and bird-friendly and delicious. And a $25 gift certificate from our friends at Bird 
Collective, the one-stop shop for vintage-inspired apparel and unique accessories, all featuring birds at birdcollective.com. And here's an important note. If you're not hearing our show live, uh, would like to do so for next time so you could enter our mystery bird contest, just go to talkingbirds.com and you'll see how to do it. That's talkingbirds.com. And we try to make everything easy around here so we can understand it ourselves, and this is no exception. Our live broadcast, by the way, is on Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10 Eastern. 9.30 to 10 Eastern, and that website, again, for that info is talkingbirds.com, and there's no G in talking. We go back to the archive for a check-in with Mike O'Connor and uh, his take on a raging debate. Let's ask Mike Almost live from the archive in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm, let's see. Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean, when you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful, and you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there, just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish. They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Down to Cape Cod where the sun always shines and temperatures are usually in the mid-70s to uh, low 80s year-round. Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatcher's General Store. Good morning, Mike. Indoor temperature, Uh, I meant to add that. (laughs) Sorry. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) We can't, yeah, let's not get specific, though. Yeah, just kind of, yeah. want that to get out, right? Just kind of leave, leave that out there. People can figure out whatever, however they, however <laughs> they want to. When they get here, they'll figure it out. So we're going to tackling one of the, uh, one of the great uh, issues of our time today, Mike, and that is uh, whether common names of birds should be capitalized. Yeah, this seems like an easy one to me. This seems like yeah. a, one that should they should have just like, oh yeah, right, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and and you get a, a few years ago, all the people from uh, Natural Audubon put all the eggheads in a room, all the birders and all the ornithologists and all the people in charge of text and writing, and they said we got to come up with you know an answer for this. And then they left, and nobody had an answer. It, it, was, <laughs> it was like a political debate almost. Yeah, that's why but, they're uh, eggheads, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of it, everybody still agreed with what they thought going in. So basically what it, what it is, is since bird names uh, have a lot of adjectives built into them, you know, bluebird, yellow yeah. warbler, little yeah. gull, spotted sandpiper, it's difficult when you're reading, um, when you're reading text to figure out if you're talking about a species, there's a species little gull, there's a species yellow warbler, or you're talking about a small gull. Or you're talking mm-hmm. about a warbler, which there are a lot of that are yellow. Yeah. Or sandpiper that is a spotted sandpiper, which is a separate species. Or just a, one of hundreds of, it seems, sandpipers that are spotted. So they, they the bird is, okay, when we, when we write it in text, we'll capitalize it. So if it's a warbler that's yellow, it's small, small 
letters, mm-hmm. and if it's the species, then the, the Y in yellow will be yeah. capital. Oh, time's up. Oh, they're calling again. I'm just Johnny Olson will be checking in with you just in a few minutes here to let you know what, what you have won. <laughs> what my prizes are. You know, we were no, talking... No. Okay, well, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And so... Uh, the American Ornithological Union, National Audubon, and the International Ornithological Congress, which seems like just uh-huh. the most superior organization in the world. So yeah. all common names, common names will have capitals. So if we're talking about generically, or we're yeah. talking about a species. And they all were happy, and then not so fast. People like the Associated Press, and even Wikipedia said, no, oh. it's not a proper name. We're not going to capitalize it. Huh. So the debate rages on. But if you pick up a bird book from now on, any mm-hmm. kind of birding by an ornithologist or, or an author associated with birding is required to use capital names. So it's mm-hmm. going to be a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. But anybody, and I know a lot of people who listen to your show, Ray, are, are genuine authors. And so if they're going to They're not writing, all named Arthur, but some of them are. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. They should, you know, get into this. And, you know, and I've, I've written a few things. And mm-hmm. I, it's funny because I capitalize all the common bird names and then... Immediately, the newspaper flips them around, and they put and they, lowercase. They put them to Weird. lowercase. Well, and you know, then, we were oh, we were talking about off the air before about you know the point of grammar is so to make things clear. So if you're going to use uh, lowercase letters on a bird, that's not clear if it says it's yellow not clear, or bird, right. right? It adds to the confusion, yeah. and 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 you know, and newspaper people. I'm not going to say they don't care, but it doesn't mean much to them. You know, you, you tell them about a yellow warbler, they don't care what that is. They don't know what that is. They, you know, so they don't understand the confusion. And then one time I wrote about a white-breasted nuthatch, and, and they, were so, they were in such a hurry to change the N in nuthatch mm-hmm. to a lower case, they hit the wrong button. So I ended up writing about a butthatch. <laughs> <laughs> and people were blaming me. I said, I didn't write it. I didn't give it to them that way. But when they did the editing, they transcrewed it up. So it's too bad because a butt hatch would be kind of a cool bird to Yeah, well, that's a, I like that. Mike, we're in agreement, I think, on this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. yeah. The birders are. We'll see what we can get the other, you know, other nerds. Yeah. And, and next week, we'll try to settle the problem of the Oxford comma. There's another big debate. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Thank I you, Mike. I will sleep all week. All right. Talk to you next week. See you later. All right. Mike O'Connor here on Talking Birds. I should point out, Mike was not incorrect when he said American Ornithological Union. That was the name of that group uh, back when we did that um, little chat there originally, now the American Ornithological Society. But we're back here at the Mystery Bird. Let's hear that bird just very briefly, just kind of one more time there. That's probably enough um, right there. Um, 781-837-4900. Quickly, our mystery bird is a large perching bird with a long, dark tail, blue-black wings, a black head and back with white shoulder patches, white belly and sides, a bright yellow bill, and a yellow spot behind the eye. Only found in Southern California. Maybe that's where Scott is. I know he's in California. Let's see exactly where he is there. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Uh, well, thanks. How are you doing? And are you in Southern California? Well, no, sir. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm about an hour north of San Francisco. Okay, so not exactly in the range of this bird, but that doesn't mean you uh, don't know what this bird is. <laughs> well, well you know, I don't know what I know, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. I, I, I relate to that. What, uh, what do you say, though, Scott? I'm going to go with the high-quality guess of California Scrub Jay. California Scrub Jay. That is a high-quality or top-quality guess, we uh, often say. And you're in, the, you know, you're in the right family there, right, with the Corvid family, with that Scrub yes, Jay. But uh, not exactly the, the answer we had in mind here. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> Thank you so much, Scott. Try us again. Right on. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. That's Scott, uh, north of San Francisco, and now we're back here to the East Coast, and Susan is in Yarmouth Port, Massachusetts. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Ray. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Very well. This is a beautiful day. Uh, It is. And what do you think our mystery bird is, Susan? Well, I'm not in California. I've never seen one, but I think it's the yellow-billed magpie. I think that's exactly right, as a matter of fact. Yes. The yellow-billed magpie. Folks in California like this bird so much that in uh, uh, let's see, 2009, they named it their Bird of the Year in a contest sponsored oh. organized by Audubon. California, well, you're absolutely right, and um, looks like we are just plumb out of time. Stay on the line, Susan, and Jesse will get your info. All right, thank you. All right, thank you so much. Susan, directly identifying the yellow-billed magpie as our uh, mystery bird. Next week, we'll learn about some more fascinating bird research when our Debbie Bleacher joins us from the Talking Birds Science Corner. That's it for today. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next week. The bird show, I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And by Vortex Optics with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com.